0: Let us pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. O God and our Father, please give us understanding of your word by the work of your Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I know I was out of town last week, but we are continuing this week with our ongoing study in the book of Ephesians. Today we'll be looking at God's Word from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17 and ending with verse 7 of chapter 5. But I want to remind us, because the, the Scriptures weren't written just as little parts to be broken up and disconnected, this is why when we do these series I talk about you know, what's the context, what's happened before, And we're building up. And since it's been a week, I want to cover a few more things with you to remind you of the context of Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And we see that in the very beginning, Paul points out that all of the church in Ephesus men, women, children, rich, poor they are all saints. There's no more degrees of separation. All that's erased by the work of Jesus Christ. Paul gives thanks for creation, thanks for redemption, and asks God for fulfillment of His will and kingdom. And this is the prayer model we want to be thinking about when we pray. Giving thanks for creation, giving thanks for His redemption, and ask God to fulfill His will in His kingdom. The book of Ephesians, again, is divided up into two sections. There's a sections that cover truths and doctrines. And then there's a section that covers how then, based off those truths and doctrines, we should live our lives. Now, it's important for us to remember that it isn't always intellect first. In other words, I've got to understand everything. But rather, I hear God's word, I believe it, and therefore then I'm going to obey His commands. We don't have to solve all of the deep mysteries of God before we take action. Praise God for that, because then none of us would take action. We are to believe and act whether we understand. We need to remember that we are made alive together and raised together, all of us. Ephesians 3 ends with the strength of praise to God to accomplish His glory in the church to all generations to eternity. And of course we see this, and this is important. Remember this, how unified are we? Verse 4 of chapter 3, there is one body, that is the church, one spirit, just as you've been called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. That is confession in the Bible, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Or as we'd say in the South, y'all. He's in all of y'all. God gives gifts to his people. God gives gifts to secure the victory for his church. We must be servants of all like Christ Jesus. And of course, the gifts that he mentions Previously, he's talking about pastors, teachers, and and different gifts that he bestows upon people in his church. Now, this is important. Why does he do that? He does that so that we can become like Christ, and he gives us the tools to secure the victory. Now, Paul's uh, methodology throughout all of his apostle, uh, excuse me, his epistles. He says this. He conveys this idea that you are unified. He always does this before he starts hitting sin directly. He always goes in and says, "You guys are united. You're together. You're one people." Go through the epistles. Look at the first few chapters of every epistle, and that's what he's doing. He's addressing the unity of the body of Christ. Before he starts dealing with the sins. Because you know what happens when we point out sin in one another? We tend to get defensive. Started in the garden, right? What did Adam do? He was defensive. Well, God, it really wasn't my fault. It was, it was that, that woman that you gave me. Right? But that's how we act in our personal lives, too. And what Paul wants us to understand, the the people in this room, and of course the broader church, but you know, it's always easier to love the neighbor across the street that you just wave at, I love my neighbors, right, that you barely know than it is to love the neighbors inside your own four walls. Am I right? The pastor I spend so much time with, Steve Wilkins, he, he would often say this, it's always easy to love your neighbor across the street. The hardest neighbor to love is the one lying in the bed next to you. Why? Because you see all their sins and they see all of yours. Right? Paul wants us to understand that in God we are to love one another, bear one another, and then as we understand that we cannot escape relationship with each other, then he's going to come in and say, okay, let's deal with these sins. Sins of relationship to one another. Sins that are in our own hearts that we see all around us. We are inseparable because of God's sovereign work in Christ. People of God, you don't get to choose who's your neighbor in this room. We cannot say, well, I have more in common with this person than that person. In Christ, you are inseparable. We are all raised together as co-regents in Christ Jesus. Remember what it said, or what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Let us hear God's word. This I say to you, and I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to break it down. Ephesians 4, 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, and the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, (coughs) who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness and greediness. But you have not so learned. If indeed you have heard him, And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore putting away lying let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are not for we are excuse me for we are members of one another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place a place to the devil let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has a need let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were all sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, because of all that, Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, I know this was a long passage, but it's all connected, and I want us to see this and understand, again, we are not able to be separated from one another. We are bound to one another. So as we work through these things, as we consider these things from God's Word, we need to recognize what it is saying as we deal with one another in sin. So as we break this down, we see in verse 17, it says, I say therefore, that is consequently. Remember, because of all these things that he's already said, consequently, he says this, and he said that he testified in the world that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now in the book of Ephesians, Paul is very concerned about the walk. It comes up seven times in the book of Ephesians. So how we conduct ourselves is of most importance. And it says you you should not no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And it says this, in the futility of their mind. That is a useless emptiness and a lacking of vigor. Think about this now. The futility of the mind. Sometimes it's useless and emptiness. In other words, we've got a form that looks like we're kind of acting like Christians and it's empty. (coughs) excuse me but it is in fact also about lacking vigor you know what one of the big challenges is in dealing with sin in our own lives and in the sin of our own children's lives and in the sin of the church around us we're just lazy we're just lazy it says right here don't lack vigor in your mind and of course, it's lacking vigor in understanding and rational. We've got to go after understanding God's word. Remember, it says in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that God has commanded. Right? We must go after it. And of course, it says that they ha- that they're excuse me, having their understanding darkened. It's covered in darkness. They're being alienated. They are being shut out from fellowship and intimacy. This is how those who don't believe in Jesus Christ walk. Their minds are darkened, their eyes are covered. And because of this, they are in a place of ignorance, and they lack moral knowledge. Now this is interesting, a lot of times we like to get moral outrage about the sins of the people in the world who don't know Christ. But we lack vigor when it comes to dealing with the lack of morals in the body of Christ. We are not to be that way. And they're in all of this because of the blindness. And it's interesting, when you look at this word blindness, it actually, the understanding of it is in the Greek, is that it's like having calluses over your eyes. Can you imagine that? That you're blind because you opened your eyes maybe during a sandstorm and it just put calluses all over them and wrecked your eyesight? Don't act in this way. And these calluses, this blindness, it's of their heart. This is, this heart here, it's the fountain and seat of thoughts and passions, desires, appetites, affections. And of course, it was really interesting because it says they're in this way and they walk in this way. These are the people that are not in Christ who being past feeling. That is, they are no more able to feel pain. people of God, we cannot act this way. This is how those that don't have Christ act. They have given, that is, they have delivered themselves up to what? Lewdness. That's outrageous and shameless behavior. behavior. And again, as the people of God, we look out there at the unbelief, the unbelieving people, and we say, look at how wicked they are, look at how bad they are, and we're always doing this. And we're not saying, what about my sin? What about the sin in the lives of the people around me? How am I going to address that? How do I do these things? And of course, he mentions that it brings, they, they do all of this, they work, they profit in unclean, uncleanliness, that is unclean motives and with all greediness. Again, we quickly look out there, we say, oh yeah, we see that about the pagans, Absolutely. The scriptures teach us that outside the Spirit's work, we cannot understand the truth. Now, this is really important. One, there's about us, and there's this in terms of how we need to act. But there's also we must come to grips that you cannot just go to a person and say, "Here it is. Shame on you." Unless the Spirit works, unless the Spirit opens their eyes, they cannot see. You must be praying. We must speak God's word and let the spirit work. We don't have to convince people. We speak the truth, we pray, and the spirit opens their eyes. Colossians 121 says, And you who were once alienated and the enemies of God in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, that is Jesus, has reconciled. So when we were blind, we couldn't see, we were Alienated, And we were enemies, even in our thinking. But now, through the work of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because... They are spiritually discerned. So again, they cannot see unless the Spirit enables them. People of God, you don't stand or sit in that way any longer. And of course, we see it also in Romans chapter 1. We see this very thing, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became what? Futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Outside of the work of the Spirit, people cannot see. But you, however, are no longer in that state. I want us to hear this. This is a a quote from a fellow pastor in the CREC, and he says this regarding these things. Sin has severely affected our ability to reason and to discern right from wrong. And thus, we are subject to all manner of errors and thought. We are apt to believe falsehood. We abound in errors of mental processing. We are prone to self-deception and subject to a weakened understanding. We process the information around us in a self-interested way, prejudicially closing our minds to truths that make us uncomfortable, and opening our minds to lies that make us comfortable. We hold competing, contradictory ideas in our heads at the same time, unswayed by logic and blind to our inconsistencies. This is what it's like when you're not in Christ. And we're going to be told here in just a minute that we have to put off the old thinking and change the way that we think and we address things. This is important. This goes back to the Reformation. This goes back to confession of sin. This comes back to thinking about how we need to be reformed and renewed. Verse 20 of Ephesians 4, But now, that is, nevertheless, you have not so learned Christ. That is, you did not learned Christ in darkness, but the Spirit opened your eyes to see. If indeed since you have heard that is hearing remember what is hearing hearing our ears are the organs of submission so when we hear him we're submitting ourselves to him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus and of course we know from John 14:6 Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life we can't know truth outside of him and he says this that you <coughs> That you, that is you people in the church, y'all, cast aside, put off, concerning your former conduct, that way you used to live, the old man which grows corrupt and defiled according to what? The deceitful lust. That is the lie that tells us what to desire. And we are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is to renovate our minds by the power of the spirit and we've got to renovate we've got to change we've got to take out the old and remove it and put in the things of god and he says that we should be clothed with the new man that is recently made not in our old thinking you see we can be justified in christ jesus our sins are forgiven and now we need to be sanctified we've got to deal with those sins And of course, we see in Romans chapter 1, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need our thinking our views on things, and our understanding of the world and the people in it to be made new by the Bible, by the work of the Spirit. We should ask God the Father to give us understanding as we read His Word. We have habits of thinking that we need to not just unlearn, but to make new. It's fascinating that at this point, that by the Spirit, Paul turns from having a new mind that, that becomes carried out by obeying the ten words. He What he does here is he goes from saying, okay, you got to change your thinking, and now he says, let's look at the ten commandments, the ten words in relation to living with one another in unity, that we cannot shake one another as brothers and sisters. This is really important. We're going to live with one another in unity. We can't escape that. We are obligated To with love contend with one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, we see the ninth commandment do not bear false witness. What does it say right there in the beginning? It says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Now, this is a quote from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. So, I'm going to read the whole phrase and then come to the verse, the quote. It says, therefore, putting away all lying, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So in other words, you're going to speak this truth, but you are members of one another. Zechariah 8.16 says, these are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice. Here's the big one, peace. What's the point of pointing out sin? What is the point for contending with one another in sin? To bring about peace. We start with truth, justice, which brings grace and mercy for the point of peace to be reconciled first to God and then to one another. He goes on in verse 26, it says 26 and says, "Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil." Again, this quote begins in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in Yahweh. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Yahweh, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. When when we are in these situations, folks, and it says, do not, you know, it says, be angry and do not sin. Someone comes to us, they offend us, they hurt our feelings, they do something. It says, take it to God. That's what Psalm 4 says. Take it to God. Do not respond to the accuser. Keep your mouth shut. Don't hit back with the tongue. In this context, if we hit back with the tongue, we are giving the devil a foothold to divide the church, the people of God. If you run around talking about it, you run the risk of division. But if you don't run around talking about it, You don't run the risk of bearing false witness. Take your complaints to God, not to others. And guess what? In God, joyfully and with gladness, let God handle it. Verses 28 and 30 tell us that we should not steal. In verse 28 it says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt, that is rotten, that's opposed to edifying, word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for, necess- for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And this is important. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the first day of redemption. You know, we can steal things from people, We tangible things. We can steal their money. We can steal uh, their possessions. But you know, we can also steal their good name. We can also steal their reputation. So don't let corrupt words, that's rotten words, come out of your mouth. Rather, edify others. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by dividing the church. Why? Because... We have been sealed for the day of redemption. It goes on in verse 31. Let all bitterness, now listen, bitterness and wrath. You know what wrath is? Wrath is your first response when something happens. We want to hit back. And you know what? Usually our first response is our sinful nature. Don't respond in this way. Because when we respond in this way, it leads to anger. You know what anger is? What's the difference between wrath, that first response, where it's that emotional outburst? Anger is settled fury. It is staying mad. It goes on and tells us not to clamor. That's the loud spreading of all our grievances and evil speaking, slanderous. Be put away from you, all those things. And then it says, with all malice. You know what malice is? Malice is your evil feelings, Ugh. right? I'm going to hold on to my anger. I'm going to hold on to these things, and I'm going I'm to stick it to them. I'm, evil feelings, I can't let them off the hook. It says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted. That is compassionate. Forgiving one another, why? Why? even as God in Christ forgave you. People of God, we've been given everything by Christ. We do not need to steal. We have an inheritance from God. Remember it said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see that connection in this passage. But then it says, who is the guarantee... Of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And of course we see in chapter 3, again it talks about the inheritance that God gives. We don't need to steal. We don't need to go against others in such a way. But let God handle and bring reconciliation. We then see in verses 31 and 32, it's about not killing In verse 31, let all bitterness wrath. That is that first response to hit back, right? And then it says this, that, that in that anger, in that clamoring, in that speaking, in that malice, that evil feelings, it grows and grows and grows all the way to the point where those evil feelings cause us to want to get to a place where we want to take action against that person. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You've heard it said that, Uh, To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. It's important for us to understand this, that it grows. Our feelings start to drive us into a way of killing others. Bitterness does not, listen, bitterness does not come from people that you don't know well. Nobody's bitter about what somebody, yet you hardly even know, says to you. No. it Rather, it comes from people that you know well, like spouses, children, or a close friend. Bitterness comes from those we have expectations of. Oh, they didn't do what I expected. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. We get upset when someone does something that we don't expect. You can see this in Colossians 3.19 where it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter with them. All of this goes on and comes to this place. And I want to ask you this. How do you smell? And I don't mean like through your nose. We see in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And of course we see Paul make these kinds of connections in 1 Corinthians 11, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Hebrews 6, 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, remember that's lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen. He says, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. That's with affection and goodwill and benevolence and brotherly love. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. We are to imitate Christ as he loved us and he gave himself for us and in doing so He was a sacrifice to God and became a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Do you stink in God's nostrils? Or do you lay yourself down for the benefit of others, even when they don't deserve it? The way to deal with not killing others, that is to say, to behave with wrath and anger, slander and clamoring and malice, is to turn yourself into a sacrifice. The opposite of do not kill is to become a sacrifice for the benefit of others. It is to kill our will for the benefit of others. We're going to learn more about this later on in Ephesians. In these first two, we see that the solutions to stealing is not just to not steal, but to work hard and be able to give to others. And to not killing is to live sacrificially. If we eat the broken body and drink the blood of Christ each Lord's Day, we are to become a sacrifice for others. We're going to come to this table here in just a minute. And we are to be like Christ and to lay down our lives, to lay down all those things that we're holding on to, Paul's instructions continue in this passage by reminding us of the seventh commandment in Ephesians 5.3. But fornication, that's all the sexual sins, and all uncleanness or covetousness, that is greed. Let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, that's babbling, coarse jesting, which is not fitting. And by the way, if you're not sure, if you need to evaluate your humor ask this question, does this joke reinforce or tear down biblical standards? He says, think about that. Instead, but rather give thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Remember, our inheritance is not what we're building, but it's coming from God. It's what God is giving us. Remember again in Ephesians 3 that we can't even comprehend what is the width and depth and height of the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that we ask or to think according to the power that works in us, God has got so much for us, and we are always picking at everything else and everybody else instead of laying down our lives for them. Finally, he says this in verse 6, Let no one deceive you, that is to cheat you or elude you by craft. With what? Empty and dev- words devoid of truth we're back to the second commandment right and then we see that we're not to take the lord's name in vain we're 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 carrying it in emptiness don't don't act like you're somebody don't act like you're holy but lay down your life for others for their benefit We see this in Exodus 20. You should not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is a false piety without love. But remember, Christ loved us and took action. He didn't have false piety. He loved and obeyed God, and he did all that he did for our benefit. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And he goes on and continues in in verse 6 of Ephesians 5. For because of these things, the wrath, that is the vengeance of God, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Those are people who are obstinate in opposition to the divine will. Now Paul is talking to the church. And he says, you know, God's judgment, his vengeance is coming upon those in the church who are obstinate in opposition to God's will. Therefore, do not be partakers, that is, joined with them. God's call is simple. Love others in the same way that Christ loved us. We do this by confessing our sins to God and then learning and living according to his word. It's as simple as that. Let us pray. Our God and Father, by the grace bestowed upon us by your Son, Jesus Christ, we implore your grace and protection for the ensuing week. Keep us as temperate in all things and diligent in our several callings. Grant us patience under our afflictions. Give us grace to be just and upright in all our dealings, quiet and peaceable, full of compassion, ready to do good to all men according to our abilities and opportunities. Direct us in all our ways, defend us from all adversities, and be graciously pleased to take us and all who are dear to us under your fatherly care and protection. These things and whatever else you see to be necessary and convenient to us, we humbly ask you through the merits and meditations of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.